Section 18 of The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. Prue's Gardener, Chapter 4. Donald had been gone for some months, long lonely months for Prudence. His aunt was ill, so he had said. He had to leave suddenly and had no time to say goodbye, even to Miss Prudence. And all these past months Prudence had looked poorly. Indeed, Maria McCutcheon anxiously watched her baby and shook her head doubtfully when she and Dan were alone. But Dan sat like a sphinx, smoking his pipe and occasionally winking in an odd way at his spouse. He had grown silent since his chuckling spell, and Maria declared to a friendly gossip that she was sure Dan knew why Miss Prue was so pale, and where Donald the gardener was to be found. Dan's absolute silence was uncanny. He had not gossiped for days, and that was extraordinary. She was that positive he knew more than could be got out of him of this gardener business. Poor Miss Prue. And then Mr. Chesterfield observed how thin and white Prudence was growing. He sent for a doctor, and the doctor, wiser than the father, ordered a trip away for a change of scene. So it was planned to send Prue to New York on a visit to her relatives there. Ever since the day on the knoll that she had overheard the story of the princess and the page, Donald's manner had changed toward her. He saw her among the firs that day in August, and he knew that she had understood him. Yes, his manner had changed. He had grown even colder than she was, and avoided her so completely that sometimes she never saw him for days. He never gave her a chance to show him that she did care and was sorry for the past. Donald simply developed into an iceberg, and then suddenly, one day in December, he went away. Went away without a word of hope to Prudence, and left her to dream over the sad what might have been. She had visited in New York some weeks, weeks filled with a round of pleasures, Shopping, theater, supper parties, concerts, automobiling in Central Park and along Riverside Drive, and the usual gaieties which people of fair means and time to spare can enjoy in New York during the winter time. The change had brightened her up a little, but she still looked pale. Prudence Chesterfield had seen much that was gay and beautiful, interesting and exciting in New York, but it failed to bring back her old self. She had changed. Changed in a different way from Donald, seemingly. Everywhere she looked for one pair of eyes, one face in the world. She studied the crowds of faces as her uncle's autocar sped down Fifth Avenue, or hurried over the frozen roads of Central Park. Hungrily, she watched the thousands of busy beings in the shops and on the sidewalks. It was in vain. No Donald was to be seen anywhere. Hundreds, thousands of hazel eyes there were in New York, but the pair Prue most longed to see were not. There were days when the world seemed to whirl so giddily around her that she even wondered if ever a Donald had been in her life and dreams of love and happiness. The past seemed so unreal in the midst of all this clatter and excitement and gaiety, the knoll and the fir trees so far away from the brownstone mansions of Fifth Avenue, the princess and the page almost ridiculous among these scurrying throngs of people. Fact and fancy incompatible, but Prue's gardener was very much alive. The past existed, and no present would ever wipe it out. Prudence knew that she could not expect to see Donald in New York, indeed never to see him again, for he had said nothing of returning to the Chesterfields' home. Nevertheless, Donald Jackson was very much alive, 
Dan did know more about the gardener business than he intended relating to Maria, and some day Maria McCutcheon was to be downed in a way she never expected. One day an invitation came for Prue and her cousins to a private dance in the Hotel Belmont. It was nearing the end of her visit in New York. Indeed, this was to be her last dance before she returned home. Prudence had made up her mind to bury the remembrance of Donald Jackson forever, and this was to be the last night of the existence of that sweet love memory. Tomorrow, and all the tomorrows to come, she would try and live as if Donald had never been. She would marry Minot Braid and make the best of it. She would never see Donald again. Why think of him? One must live on. Prudence looked sweet in her dainty white silk gown. Her blue eyes, larger for the thinness of her face, shone with a lustrous beauty tonight. The ready flash seemed to have died out of them. A half-resigned expression played about the pretty mouth that was wont to be so mischievous and proud. Partners were not wanting, for Prue's admirers were many, but she only half enjoyed the evening, and that in a listless fashion. Halfway through the program, Prudence was sitting in a small Turkish room, where oriental cushions and divans were plentiful and coffee was served on teakwood tables. Her cousin had left her for another partner, and she had begged him to leave her where it was quiet and she would be undisturbed. Oblivious of the music, which bade her dance and forget, oblivious of the lights and laughter, which told her to live in the present alone, oblivious of the fragrance and the fascination of the scented ballroom, the shimmering costumes, the admiring eyes of the men, forgetful of all this wild, strange gaiety, she was sitting alone, dreaming of her sweet love memory, dreaming of Donald. On her lap lay a sheaf of white roses strangely like those of her rosebush on the knoll. Her cousin had given them to her in the autocar on their way to the dance, and when she asked where they had come from, he said he did not know, and there was no card nor note attached. Even these had not lightened her heart, for tonight the story ended. Tomorrow she must think of Donald no more. She would go back to her home and to mine at Braid. She leaned back among the silk cushions, laid one arm across them, and buried her face on it. She did not weep, but more than one long, weary sigh broke from her proud lips. Thus Prudence was sighing and oblivious when a man entered the room. He hesitated, apparently. "'Pardon me. Do I interrupt you, madam?' The girl sprang to her feet. "'Donald!' she cried in amazement, her proud self-command forsaking her. "'Miss Chesterfield?' he exclaimed, starting backward in apparent surprise. "'A thousand pardons! I did not know you were in New York, and least of all at this dance. How came you here?' Prudence leaned against the wall to steady herself. She felt giddy. "'I am staying with an uncle of mine. And you?' she asked, suddenly aware of his fine evening dress and a small diamond ring which flashed on his finger. "'I am visiting also.' answered Donald, with an odd smile in his inscrutable hazel eyes. "'What will you have the page do? Obedience is the courtesy due to kings and princesses.' The girl blushed. Of his free will he was reverting to the past. "'You have always been the prince to me,' she said simply, a world of love looking out of her lustrous blue eyes. "'A princess asks no obedience of her prince.' Donald laughed gaily. "'Then you will have another rose-bush planted by your white rose on the knoll?' he questioned, looking down into her eyes for the truth. Prue's eyes fell on the sheaf of white roses. "'Was it you who sent me these flowers tonight?' 
The odd smile came back to his eyes again. Who did you think sent them? Well, I never thought you would. I did not think you... She hesitated. Cared? He suggested. Prue nodded. And you thought I had forgotten? He asked with a shade of reproach in his tone. I did, replied Prudence. Well, they are yours. And you have accepted them, or you wouldn't have them here now, Miss Prudence. You didn't give me a chance to refuse them, laughed Prue, did you? I didn't intend that you should refuse, he said, with his look of domination which had thrilled Prue the first day their eyes had met. He was conquering her. Have your way, laughed Prue. I resolved that I would with you months ago, said Donald coolly. Are you satisfied? asked Prudence saucily. Nearly, from Donald. You gorgon, laughed the happy girl. What more do you want? You haven't answered my question yet, from Donald resolutely. What question, Sir Gardiner? Are you going to have another rose bush planted by your white rose on the knoll? Yes, Donald, she assented softly, and their lives, their love, and their white roses lived and died together. They both laughed heartily. And so ends the story, finished Donald, impulsively holding out his arms to her. Not the end yet, and Prudence retreated. Pray, what is the end, little princess? Prudence Chesterfield stood irresolute a moment and then asked humbly, Who are you, Mr. Jackson? Donald caught her impulsively in his arms and kissed her many times, and with a wonderfully sweet smile in his hazel eyes he whispered softly, I am Minot Braid. End of section 18 Recording by Melissa Green